Welcome to Behind the Idea, where we break down investment stories from the Seeking Alpha ecosystem to find out what makes successful investment analysis. I'm Daniel Schwartzman, and with me today, as always, is Mike Taylor. We are looking at the fog of internet information surrounding one of America's best-known restaurant chains and what that can mean for investors. First, some background and a disclosure. Seeking Alpha is a website where investors around the world share their investment ideas and analysis. Neither Mike nor I have any positions in any companies discussed, and nothing on here should be taken as investment advice of any sort. Today's topic, Stephen Mosley's first article for Seeking Alpha looks at what he called gray area reports to explain how Chipotle shares have dropped further than they should. For a stock that everybody knows well, it seems there is still plenty of disagreements and potential misunderstandings about the company, which would make for an investment opportunity for the investor who sees the stock correctly. The theme of today's episode, then, is everybody is a burrito expert. So, Mike, what does the market know about Chipotle Mexican Grill? Chipotle is a very popular burrito chain in America. People love Chipotle. On a general basis, everyone loves Chipotle. Everyone loves their burritos. It's got a cool name. And so, accordingly, it is a stock that has a big story behind it, which means that the market has consistently shown a great deal of optimism around this company. And you can see that in the valuation of the stock. It trades at around a 44 price-to-earnings ratio right now which is very expensive relative to the market, which means that the market is pricing in substantial growth expectations for Chipotle, which is interesting for a company that has been around for a long time. So from the investor standpoint, Chipotle has always been a sort of runaway growth story. And then in recent years, the stock has taken a couple hits and gotten beaten up a little bit due to some food contamination scandals. Uh, that broke out, I believe, around 2016. Amid all that controversy, well-known shareholders have taken stakes in the company. Uh, One of our favorite activist investors, Bill Ackman, shout out to Bill Ackman, who's been having some trouble uh, with his portfolio performance lately, but who loves taking high-profile positions, bought a stake in Chipotle and outlined an activist plan to turn the company around. Uh, And then late breaking news is the company actually has a new CEO, just announced yesterday, I think. So to wrap up, this is basically a stock that's been priced to the moon for a very long time. I think mostly based on people's love of the burritos, love of the product. And there's been some issues with food safety that have hit the stock price. But nevertheless, it's a very expensive stock that the market shows a lot of optimism around. Just to add a little context there as well, even though the price to earnings is quite high, what, what's the share price been like over the last five years or, or the inception of Chipotle? So it's been, it's been on, the, on the rise consistently. This has been an expensive stock that's continued to go up and up and up sort of against all logic of valuation and how expensive it had gotten until it sort of hit, slammed into this wall. It got up to, you know, around $700 a share at its peak in uh, mid to late 2016. And then 
these food safety scandals broke out and it got slammed. It went down about 45%, I think, in the wake of these food scandals. So the stock itself did take some major hits over this after a really, really strong rise from about 2010 up until 2015, 2016. For any efficient market hypothesis enthusiast, the idea that the market is always efficient, obviously there's new news to this story, but there's been a lot of movement in the stock. We mentioned that the theme is that everybody's a burrito expert. That came from, I had a meeting with a Seeking Alpha reader, a professional investor, actually an acquaintance of Peter Lynch. And Peter Lynch, the famous Fidelity investor, is well known for the idea of starting your investment process with what you know, what you use in your life. I think that's been distorted a little bit and simplified. People think that that's all you do. And of course, Peter Lynch is a very thoughtful, serious investor and goes deeper into his work. It doesn't just say, I use it, so it must be good. But I think with something like Chipotle, Mexican food is probably the best cuisine there is. I, I, I will make that stand <laughs> far better than Italian, far better than French, whatever else. Everybody likes burritos. And so everybody thinks that they have an informational edge or some sort of insight into a company like Chipotle. Everybody says, the lines at my local Chipotle are out the door, or the lines at my local Chipotle are empty, or anything in between, and especially around all these uh, uh, virus issues in 2015, 2016, and as this article discusses, even in 2017, it becomes very easy for people to think that they know something that not everybody does, even though everybody's looking at this sort of stock. It's a big company. It's it's a mid-cap right now, but it's a big company. It's a popular company. So it's easy for people to overrate their own insight into the company because they think they know yeah. burritos and they know yeah. what's going on with Chipotle. Right. And just to build on that point, I think your biases are probably magnified. In fact, there are academic studies that show this, that one of the biases that investors and human beings have is overconfidence bias, which is an overestimation of, of your own ability to predict future outcomes and overconfidence in the sort of probabilities that you assign to outcomes. And the more that you know, the more overconfident you are. So experts are actually more susceptible to overconfidence bias than non-experts. And when everybody's a burrito expert, then I think these biases and this know-what-you-own Peter Lynch style philosophy can be magnified and distorted. And I think that's what brings us into Stephen Mosley's thesis about Chipotle, which came out a couple weeks ago. So why don't you talk us through that, Daniel? Sure. So, so the title of Stephen Mosley's piece, and it's his first article for Seeking Alpha, he wrote a title, article titled Chipotle, Fact-Checking Gray Area Reports. And what his point is, and it's very timely in the modern landscape, of the internet and of everything that's happened politically and in the news and everything else. This argument isn't that people are making stuff up, but that anything has a megaphone of Twitter, of social media, of other vehicles to get the word out. And so any news that might become relevant all of a sudden becomes a big story. And so obviously Chipotle had, they had an E. coli, salmonella, and norovirus outbreak in October 2015, and that's where the stock took its big hit. But then it started to 
recover is the thesis, started to recover through mid-2017, and then it got hit by a few other cases this year, or last year, excuse me, 2017. So there was a norovirus outbreak in Virginia, and there were a bunch of reports on this. There, Chipotle officially responded to it, and what Stephen does a nice job is in each of these cases, he has the same format. When did it happen? What happened? How many people said it happened? What did Chipotle say? What did the authorities say, the health authorities or any other regulatory body that has impact in this or oversight in this area? And then what was the effect on CMG stocks, Chipotle stock? And so July was the one one case where Chipotle said, yeah, this is a real thing. They also mentioned it in their 10K. This was a real thing. We acknowledge it. We have to address it. And so that was case one. Stephen argues that it was overemphasized, but that was the first case. And, it, and the stock moved 30%. And so he looks at that. And he looks at, there was a report that there are rodents. I like that he uses rodents instead of yeah. rats or mice in, the store, in a store in Dallas. And so that was case number two. Then there was another norovirus case reported in California. The report of Jeremy Jordan, an actor in Supergirl, who claimed that he almost died. <laughs> and this is, again, this is where I think it fits into this idea of everybody's an expert. It gets magnified and everybody's following and looking for the stock, according to Stephen, moved 10% in response to one person saying that they almost died from eating Chipotle. And so that's the... The the last case there, I'll jump into the last case, is the earnings call was a little bit different. He, he, he mentioned the earnings call analysis and how the market, the response to the earnings call was initially positive, but then there became the theme that actually the 3% decline in foot traffic was a proof that Chipotle's brand was struggling, and he argues that, no, actually... It's just that they raise prices. Of course, traffic is going to slow. There's no reason to not believe the company here. And so that's the the thesis is essentially that all these reports are mountains out of molehills, and yet revenue didn't move that much in the intervening period, and yet the stock moved quite a bit. And so that would seem to be a non-fundamental reason for the stock to move, an inaccurate reason right. for the stock to move. Right. And so that's his thesis. He doesn't go into right. the financials or make any further case, but that's the thesis, that the stock dro- dropped 47%, which was legitimate and correlated to a revenue drop after the original norovirus outbreaks back in 2015-16. It dropped 40% in response to these assorted incidents last year, which don't seem likely to have an effect on revenue and don't seem like a big deal. So that's that's right. a thesis. What do you think about that sort of analytical approach? I like it. I really like I like what he's done here. And I think we don't get a lot of content on Seeking Alpha that takes this approach, but I think it's a really important one. And it goes back to this theme of everyone's a burrito expert. Investors have well-documented, quantified psychological biases that affect their behavior in financial markets. And Stephen does a really good job of breaking down. He doesn't quite use the same psychological terminology that behavioral economists use, but 
he's touching on this really important aspect of investor behavior, which is that we make mistakes in interpreting information. And those mistakes can lead us to mispriced stocks, to buy too high or sell too low. So going back to the rodent, I think it's interesting that he chose that word specifically because that's the most sort of disgusting word versus, I mean, rats is pretty gross too, I guess. And mice is not great. But I think rodent is really nasty. And I think that reflects a specific type of bias, which is availability bias. The idea, the information that you can more easily retrieve that stands out to you and is striking and causes a reaction in you is going to cause you to overweight that information and take it disproportionately into account versus information that isn't as easy to retrieve. And so I like what he's doing here. He's breaking down without using the psychological terminology, these kinds of biases that people have. Another one that he used that I think was really good is sample size neglect. The stock gets hit on a report of a single restaurant having an issue. And then I believe he says that that report was never actually confirmed or he can't find validation that the CDC had followed up with it in terms of the 2017 norovirus outbreak. So he's cataloging for investors sort of very systematically how the headlines can lead you astray. And he shows you two aspects of this. One is that headlines affect consumer behavior. Sure. So people stop going to Chipotle if they think it's contaminated, but also that headlines disproportionately affect investor behavior, that investors see the headlines and they sell the stock down based on information that there probably is overly sensational that represents an outlier instead of the overall base case for how the how clean the stores are overall. And that this is this has actually done some damage to Chipotle stock. So I think that the case here, it's a creative, unusual framework, and I think he does a good job of supporting it on the terms that he's established. It's not a complete story in terms of the fundamentals, but I think he hammers home why it's dangerous to think of yourself as a burrito expert, because the headlines can lead you to make mistakes. What do you think, Daniel? Well, I wanted to ask you what you thought about in the first case, the 2015-16 case, revenue went down. And so you could argue that the correlation between investor panic and customer panic was one-to-one or close enough. Right. And yeah. that's a point Stephen makes, and he argues that that's fine. Okay, that's that's a legitimate reaction for the stock. In this case, the, the investors are reacting more, in his view, than the customers. What do you think that says about investors in general? Why why are investors specifically more susceptible to this than customers who we like to use the terminology of, I eat my own cooking as an investor. I'm invested <laughs> in my own stock. But this is a case where people are actually eating the food, and you would think they would care more <laughs> about getting poisoned or getting rats in their food or rodents or what have you. And yet, there's a bit of a disconnect there. What do you think that says about investors? One thing that comes to mind is confirmation bias. And I think that's a big one here. The first story was real, if we believe Stephen, right? The revenues did go down. The story, the company was hurt by this outbreak. And confirmation bias says that 
you seek out and you overweight and you notice information that confirms your previous beliefs. So as soon as that story's out there in the market, then suddenly every story that follows that confirms that initial report, which did have some validity, regardless of how much impact it should really have if you step back and look at it, people are going to take that and latch onto it because it confirms a previous thesis that played out in the market, which was the initial outbreak hurt Chipotle, hurt revenues, hurt the fundamentals, and the stock went down. And so people react to the next news by saying, whoa, that's a similar headline to our previous thesis on this. Let's react in the same way and potentially even disproportionately. In terms of, it's weird. I went to Chipotle throughout the health scandal thing, and I didn't. it didn't affect my consumer behavior, and so it's hard for me. But I, I, I guess I'm sort of the inverse of the Chipotle investor in that I went after the news to go buy the stuff, but I never thought I would invest in the company. How are investors different from consumers? That's a good question. I think stock prices can com compound their own impact. They can overshoot in a certain direction once they get going in a certain direction. So the news comes out, the stock price goes down, people see the stock price going down, and they sell because they see that the news is bad. I don't know if there's an analog in terms of how people go to restaurants. Maybe you see that the lines are shorter and so you think twice about going to Chipotle after the food outbreak. But I think that hurting behavior is stronger. People are more sensitive to the numbers and the percentage movements in stocks maybe than they are to the information that's available to them about what other consumers are doing. The stock price is captured, it's visible, it's right there. It's easily observable, but other consumer behavior isn't as much. So your hurting effect may be dampened because of that. Well, and I wonder if it's also maybe three things that also might explain the difference is that one is there's a longer term impact. Obviously, you're taking a health risk, I guess, if you believe the story <laughs> as an eater. Yeah. <laughs> but statistically, you're also taking a health risk every time you get in your car. There are lots of day-to-day -day activities that involve some small, minuscule component of risk, and we learn to swallow that, literally. And oh. in this case, for the investor, it's your money. And no matter how much investors say they're in it for the long term, it's your money. It may be other people's money, and you don't want to be stuck holding the bag if Chipotle continues to have these problems. And like you said, right. it confirms the story that they don't have the right quality control and so forth. Then I also think there's the other two points are connected and they can sort of contradict one another. Because on the one hand, investors are desperate to have an edge. And so mm -hmm. even though these stories often end up being reported, by the time they reach Seeking Alpha, most people have heard about them. They're not, it happens that we break news, but it's not our focus. And by the time it gets out there or gets out on Twitter or gets out sort of spread around, you've already sort of missed it. But people still think that if they have that edge, that early step, that might help them. Yeah. And on the other hand, they don't want to be the ones who are looking at their holdings at the end of the quarter and reporting to investors and saying, oh, you're the jerk who had Chipotle in your portfolio, even though they just poisoned 30 people. What are you, nuts? And so I think right. there's that desire for edge yeah, and with fear, right? Yeah, those are good points. Two, two things. One... I think we've hit on something here, which is if, if everyone's a burrito expert, then no one's a burrito expert. If everyone thinks they have edge, 
on the same story, then no one has any edge. That's market efficiency coming back at you. And so you have this interesting dynamic here where people respond to the information in an inefficient way, and then the market punishes them for that because everyone's looking at the same thing at the same time. And so you're competing with everyone else to be first to incorporate information, but everyone's incorporating it incorrectly. It creates this weird fractal situation where the edge that you perceive, you're actually overconfident about, and everyone else has the same perceived edge and the same overconfidence in it. It creates this situation where the stock is going to do is going to eventually, if it moves against you, it's going to move against you really strongly, and you're going to be left holding that bag. The second thing I thought that you touched on that was really interesting is the the difference between food risk and market risk. You can't diversify away your food safety risk. It's a non-diversifiable risk, right? The more foods you add to your portfolio of things that you eat, you're, you're unlikely to actually be any safer, right? So if I go to Chipotle and I go to Jack in the Box and I go to KFC and I go to Denny's, adding the incremental addition of restaurants actually is probably compounding your risk. Is it because the correlations are close to one? I think that must be it. I, I'm trying to figure out that you, it's, I, I would argue that the risk of getting sick is not something you can diversify away. Whereas the risk of, of having, owning a stock in a company that has food safety concerns is diversifiable. If you own Chipotle and Denny's and Jack in the Box, you're safer against any one of them having a food safety concern in terms of your investment risk. So how do you manage your, your disease risk, Daniel? You peanut just butter. eat peanut butter. They put so many preservatives in Skippy that you Gif just need to clean. that's your Gif is pretty, pretty clean. clean. Gif is pretty clean. We've had household arguments over Gif versus the natural peanut butters, but Gif is the one brand. My dad put us through a taste test when I was a child and I passed the test. Gif is it's it's sorry, I I don't wanna we don't have a sponsor. I don't wanna Gif is not a sponsor. <laughs> but and I don't have a position at SJM either, muckers. But yeah, no, no, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I think there's, it's obviously, it's a little bit forced to make that direct comparison because they're different types of activities. Right. But it's interesting. It's, it is, it's, it's human behavior, right? Human behavior is the same in this category or that category. The one thing we've sort of left out before we, we haven't really opined yet, and on the stock itself, but what do you think about the author as the source of objective analysis? In other words, is the author an expert on burritos? Does the author, he says, even says yeah. towards the end of the article that as an investor in and fan of Chipotle, I have yeah. faith in the company, company to deliver on its mission, which is very, I want that. If, if I'm Chipotle, I want people to have faith in me. If I am investing in a company I am very cautious about using the words faith yep. and fan. And so I wonder yeah. what you think about Stephen's ability, even as he makes this high quality analysis of the news and its validity, what do you think about his ability to kind yeah. of remove his biases from the story? Yeah, this is huge. And I think it's a really important point. I think what we see here is he systematically evaluated the information and done a good job of trying to be rigorous about it. 
And what's interesting is that we have this discussion at the end of the article that he is still falling back on these kind of emotional or endowment-related framing of the investment story. In other words, I think what we see here is he's the faith and fan you can think of as falling into the psychological bias bucket of the endowment effect, whereas when you own something or something is associated with you, you tend to overvalue it. And a sort of analog to that is that if you make public statements about anything, you tend to come to believe those public statements more than you would if you had not said anything. And so all of that combines to create this effect where you learn more and more and more about a stock or an idea that does not allow you to escape your biases. And I think that you can you can see that here in Stephen, and he does a great job of really trying to be balanced. But I think that there's a little bit of an aspect of this article where he's he's trying to reaffirm his existing belief. It, there's a little bit of confirmation bias here, even though he's created this great structure for evaluating the information. And I think we can come back to Bill Ackman here on this point because I think this is what. He's had a lot of trouble. He's been on the wrong side of a lot of trades. He's been on the wrong side of Valiant. He's been on the wrong side of Herbalife. After being right initially, he stuck with it too long. People are making fun of him a lot for Chipotle. And I think it's he's a really interesting case because he's obviously skilled, right? He did a lot of really great things in the investment world and then has slammed into this wall. It's interesting that the recent news about him has involved stepping out of the spotlight, stepping back, focusing on his investment portfolio. And I wonder if that represents a, a recognition on his part that his public showmanship and his associating himself and his own brand so closely with investments has created this endowment effect and this commitment to his ideas that has actually impaired his decision process. And so I think it will be interesting to watch. I don't know if you ever come back from being a high flyer like he was to having these rough and tumble couple years, but I think we should give him a little bit of credit, Ackman, that he's showing some awareness of this issue of cognitive bias and endowment effects and potentially that explains his recent behavior in terms of, you can make fun of the idea of getting back to investing and saying, well, shouldn't you have just been doing that all along? But I think that's actually consistent with what we're seeing here in this article. This vast array of resources and expertise that Bill Ackman has had and brought to the table have not enabled him to transcend the burrito expert problem that you're this giant expert, you still have these mental flaws that cause you to make enormous mistakes. And I think that we see this in a microcosm in Stephen Mosley's thesis. And I think, but it's also it even, I think what's interesting is it plays out even with the big time heavy hitters on Wall Street. You can't escape it. You become an expert, but everyone's an expert. And you're just sort of compounded in your, we're all imprisoned by our psychological defects, even the best of us. And even when we make this effort to be super rigorous, I think that's fascinating. I agree. I think there's so much to unpack there. And I don't want us to derail because we could unpack that for a while. But I think that knowing your limits is probably the hardest part of anything, really. We can expand this to fields beyond investing, but we're talking about investing. 
investing, knowing what you don't know and being comfortable with uncertainty and with recognizing that uncertainty is so important. Yeah. One knowing thing you're I, taking the risk. Yeah. One thing I think of quite a bit right now in this bull market is it's so easy to say, oh, I should have let that stock run. I should have let it go because it just kept yeah. going higher. Think of how many stocks people might sell too early. And that's in a bull market, that's very easy to do. But if you allow that to pervert your process, that's exactly where euphoria comes in. And that's exactly where you get caught out. I think in a, there's a difference, I should say, between changing your process and adapting. I don't think anybody should stay stuck in their way. That's also a bias. But that's just an example to me of you get that feedback loop of, oh, I should have held on because the stock went higher, which doesn't actually change. Did I sell this for the fair price that I felt it was worth? And did I buy it for less than that fair price or vice versa if you're shorting or whatever else? And so, yeah, yeah I think I'll it's a lot to that and a lot to the idea that the more you believe, the more you put emphasis on your position and try to make your stand, to some degree, the more you open yourself up for a Icarus-like fall. Mm -hmm. Sure. The other thing that made me think of is just that you don't, a lot of the problem with your biases is that they're often contradictory. So you have confirmation bias where you seek out information that leads you to the same conclusion that you already arrived at. That's an argument for holding through the bull market. But that's, that would bias people in favor of holding, right? They believe in the stock, so they continue to believe. People are also loss averse, which means they sell too early. So either behavior can be explained through a psychological bias, which means it's very, very complicated to try and figure out whether you're transcending your biases or not, because there are biases that can induce you to do the wrong thing in either direction at any given point in time. Despite the presence of quants, investing is still a lot art and not as much science as people would like to believe it to be. Well, I think that's up for debate. But I think one thing we can say for sure is that I know how much I don't know about basketball, but I don't know how much I don't know about investing. So let's, let's, let's circle back to sort of wrapping up our thoughts on the, the analysis itself and a little bit with the numbers maybe. What do you think about the about Chipotle as a stock. We've gone through all this back and forth on the story. What do we know? Are we burrito experts? Daniel, share your burrito expertise. I am not a Chipotle expert. I've never eaten there. I have had only one opportunity where I really thought I was going to eat a Chipotle. I was in the Philadelphia airport and I ended up getting the Philly cheesesteak. So I am nice. decisively not an expert here. Uh, I do love burritos. I am going for Mexican food tonight, so I have an opinion, have an opinion on burritos, but not an expert here. I did look at Chipotle's stock. I looked at their 10K, and I wrote down a few notes that I think are relevant for some context here. The company is a growth story. It's building new stores, but that growth rate is slowing. They added, I think, 180 plus stores last year. They're planning wow. to add 130 to 150 this year. So wow, they're they're that's still a lot. Yeah, that's still a ton of stores. But yeah, that white space is starting to shrink a little bit. They talk about mm -hmm. I live in Europe and 
out, I live in Spain, and in Spain you can get good Mexican food, but outside of Spain you can't. And so I once believed, oh yeah, Chipotle could probably, there is a story in Europe, but they haven't focused on that yet. And who knows if they will be the ones who can succeed in that. Their comp store sales, which is one of, is probably the most important number for a restaurant company, the sales based on the same number of restaurants, ignoring the new stores for a second, were up 6.4% last year, I think the number is, which looks good, but it was coming off of a year where they were double-digit percentage down because of all of the mm-hmm. health issues in 2015. Right, right. The last half of last year, they were up about a percent, so it actually... I think they recaptured a bunch of mm. sales in the first half of last year and then didn't really recapture their average unit volume, how much sales they have at each given store has moved down from about 2.4 million a year to 1.95 million, which is, I'm not a restaurant expert. I think that's a really good number. So but it's, <laughs> uh-huh. it's, it's not what it was. And yeah. they're trading still for a 31 times free cash flow, 45 times PE, more or less. It's not a cheap story. There are headwinds in the industry. Restaurant traffic hasn't been great. Wages are going up. So yeah, I think, and this is where, as we talk about being burrito extras, I want to turn back to and hear what you think about Stephen Zeltzman's argument. I think what's worth remembering is that Chipotle was a really expensive stock, but it was growing really well. Yeah. Now it's not really growing that well, and it's not. There were questions about that growth story before. How long it could continue? Now those questions have been raised, and you have the real health issues of a couple of years ago, and then you have aftershocks. Let's say, mm-hmm. are they exaggerated or not? There's definitely confirmation bias of people saying, "Oh yeah, that's." I thought that they were bad at that, and they continue to be bad at that, and maybe that's the yeah. problem. But it's also just a question of, oh, yeah, maybe maybe the wool is being raised from everybody's eyes, and they're seeing this isn't going to ever be the growth story it was, and so we need to ratchet down our expectations accordingly. Does that change things? And I don't know. The stock popped to last week due to the hiring of a new CEO. They brought in the guy who ran Taco Bell for Young Brands. And oh, so yeah, that's right. I, I don't know if that will change. I don't think the market is actually quite smart enough to say, oh, yeah, maybe this growth story won't work out. But I wonder if that is something unanswered here. And again, a single article can't do everything with Chipotle. And so Stephen's angle is quite good for where it goes. But I wonder if that was the unsaid subtext that maybe these, you have enough divots in the wall suggesting that this isn't a solid building a solid investment story and then all of a sudden it doesn't matter what you're throwing against that wall it's enough to shatter the perception even if it's not so serious it doesn't matter what you're throwing against the wall (laughs) could be burritos but i want to okay so first i want to make an aesthetic point i saw on twitter a lot of people making jokes about how it's a downgrade for the CEO of Taco Bell to become the CEO of Chipotle. And I just have to say, financial Twitter, you should try harder. That's not a good joke. It's not funny. Move on to the next. You think you're funny with that one, but you're not. You need to do better than that. So please step up your game, everyone. That was horrendous. And I saw like 15 people make the same joke. Quick quick side note on, on CEO jokes, that was not didn't pass muster. You you guys are smarter than that. You're better than that. 
Back to the, the valuation story and the stock story. I think I come come down on this the way that I always have been, which is I've always seen Chipotle as a stay away for me because of its expensive valuation. I think what's interesting is that potentially that valuation is persistent based on investor enthusiasm, based on the Peter Lynch effect, based on the everyone being a burrito expert effect. Potentially, that multiple is always going to be wider than it is for other companies just because of Chipotle's popularity among consumers. That makes me wonder if there's a way to adjust your expectations and valuations based on that kind of I don't know how to, so I come back to this is still a really expensive stock. The growth story, based on what you said, is damaged but maybe not broken. It's hard for me to imagine Chipotle crashing. Watch it will crash after I said that. It feels like a thing that could muddle along easily. I guess my feeling, my burrito expert hat on, I'm I'm still on the stay away here. I don't I don't see enough. I would not even do probably any more homework on this one. I would just stay away from it for my value approach. I would, however, own Chipotle in a well-diversified portfolio of investments, but that's boring. What about in a well-diversified portfolio of dinner? Of food options? Yeah. Well, I'm, that's funny you mentioned that because I, I have celiac disease, so I have to be gluten-free, which means that I have a very high concentrated portfolio of nutrition options because almost everything has gluten in it. Restaurant world, step up your game. Chipotle is well ahead of you. In fact, part of that multiple expansion is probably their edge in the gluten-free area. You can get a burrito bowl at Chipotle. Just if you don't if you don't get the flour tortilla, you can get every other ingredient on the menu basically. They make it right in front of you. You know it's safe. I did see one guy touch the rice spoon to the burrito shell, and that was disappointing. I had to order the brown rice instead of the white rice. But overall, they have a very, very contamination-free, from a gluten-free perspective, very few health concerns on my part. And that's an edge that Chipotle does have over almost every other publicly traded restaurant. Maybe P.F. Chang's. P.F. Chang's publicly traded. I think they have good... Shout out to P.F. Chang's, whether you're public or not. My burrito expertise comes in on that. I have my own endowment effects based on the gluten-free situation. But in terms of the fundamentals of the company, this is a stay away for me. And I think it's, it, would be in, it would have enriched Stephen's article for him to touch on this because I think that it's potentially the big multiple could compound the effects of these perceptions and make the stock swing more. Because if the market sees that earnings are going to compress or grow and you have a big multiple, then any changes in the perceptions of the future prospects of the company are going to be magnified by the multiple. Are you buying that argument? I think that's the point. I think the point is that when you deal with these sorts of stocks and you have so many people who think they're burrito experts or burrito bowl experts or whatever else, it, it, it's smooth sailing until it isn't as everybody's right and everybody agrees until all of a sudden the story changes. And so, yeah, I think that's, it's not that low multiple stocks don't move, but assuming there is a legitimate basis for the earnings and they're not going to go away and assuming those earnings have a decent prospect of continuing in the near to midterm future, a share price move is a blessing. It's an opportunity to buy the stock for cheaper than what you were paying before. But when you get into this 
when you tell me that Chipotle is on sale, now get it for 30 times free cash flow, I don't view that as a very compelling sale offer. And, right. and then if I'm holding the stock and I'm trying to justify why I should continue to hold it, and you keep telling me, well, there continue to be reports, even of questionable credibility. And I think there's a whole interesting topic here that Stephen broaches and that we won't have time to get to about the validity of sources and is there anything Rumors. you can do to control this sort of yeah. crowdsourcing writ large, well beyond what Seeking Alpha does, but just the internet. What is real, what is not? I think that's a very important discussion to have. But for the sake of Chipotle, a lot more has to go right for this stock to work. And maybe a Taco Bell CEO and the support of Bill Ackman and modestly improving comparable sales is enough mm-hmm. to do it. Gets you there. Yeah. But for for me, I think Chipotle as an investment is less interesting to me. I, I wouldn't look at the stock, but Chipotle as an example of everybody thinking they're an expert of these various biases that you covered and just, and then, yeah, the quality of information on the internet and how you parse that, how you critically think, how you, in the stock market, it doesn't only matter what you think. It also matters. Eventually, you need to find somebody else to sell your shares to, to make it right. worth your while. How, does, how do you balance all those things? I think it's really interesting. I think Stephen did a nice job of opening that door and leading to that potential consideration. And so I, I don't know that I've become any more convinced in Chipotle as an investment long or short, nor do I feel any more confident as a burrito expert, which is why I need to do more research on that front. Great. So I think we nailed it, Daniel. I think want to leave it there. I don't think we can do any more on burritos, Mike. So I'm burrito out. All right. Bye now. Japanese hand fan, motion for silence, and then he began, he said...